If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to use the black Bible in the pew in front of you. If you don't have one, you're welcome to take that home with you. Are you guys good? Are you hearing me? I'm not really hearing myself very much. Yeah? Jim, Ms. Janice, you're not hearing me? Hey, can we turn me up a little bit? Whoever's up there hiding behind the computer? Cohen, can you turn me up a little bit, buddy? Thanks, man. Hard to get good help these days. All right. Uh, I was raised by a single mother. And, you know, the thing about it is, is I can still spot a single mother from a mile away. You know, I can always see them. I can pick them out of a lineup. Single moms, they typically have the same wardrobes. I don't mean necessarily the, the style of the clothes that they wear, more of like the age and the condition of their clothes, right? Single moms always have like an older wardrobe that's been kept in really, really good condition. They buy a pair of shoes, keep them clean for life. Single moms also tend to look a little tired. You know, they're just a little less rested than the other moms in the PTA meetings and the soccer games and all that other stuff. Single moms are known to go without food on occasion because they want to make sure that their kids have enough to eat. Single moms tend to not really have much of a social life. They can't remember the last time they were on a date or they went out with friends or just got to spend some time alone away from the kids. You know, single moms, the thing, the thread that ties all of this together is that their whole life is given to their children. All their time, all their talent, all their treasure, all their emotional and spiritual energy is given over to their kids. It's, I'm second, they're first. And I think that that's a pretty apt analogy for Paul's prayer life as we see it role modeled in the New Testament. I think Paul prays, single mom prayers. You know, whenever he goes to the Lord in prayer, it seems like he always talks about his spiritual children. He always talks about other Christians. It seems like the church is the only thing in the world that he cares about. He doesn't care about himself very much at all. Now, I'm not saying that Paul doesn't pray for himself or about himself. He does. When he wrote to the Corinthians and he was talking about his thorn in the flesh, He said, I've prayed and I've asked God to take it from me on multiple occasions. He also asks Christians to pray for him. So in Ephesians 6, he says this, Pray for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Nevertheless, the vast majority of Paul's prayers in the New Testament are not about or for himself but for other Christians. So these, these other-oriented prayers, they take many forms. Uh, one form is a petition. So Paul will often go to God, and he'll ask God to do something good for his spiritual children. Uh, in Ephesians 3, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. That's a petition. God, would you please strengthen them? But the kind of prayer that Paul prays most often for his spiritual children is a prayer of thanksgiving. So I'm just going to give you six quick, rapid-fire examples from Paul's letters in the New Testament. 
In Romans 1.8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because of your faith. In 1 Corinthians, he says, I always thank my God for you because of the grace that he's given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, you're noticing a pattern? It's not just that I thank God for you. It's that I thank God for what I see him doing in you. You tracking? To the Ephesians, he says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you. I tried, but I couldn't, remembering you in my prayers. The Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. To the Colossians, we always thank God when we pray for you. To Philemon, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers. So I think you can see, friends, how Paul is always thanking God for the grace that he sees in the lives of his spiritual children, of other Christians, of the church in general. And the Thessalonians are no exception. Look at chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, which will be our text for this morning. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly, mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's God's holy, inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen? Amen. Now, you have to remember what we learned last week. Paul had left his co-workers in Thessalonica while he moved on. He went to Berea, and then he went to Athens, and then he ended up laboring in Corinth. But while he was gone, especially while he was in Corinth, he couldn't stop thinking about the church in Thessalonica. He wanted to know that they were doing okay, that they weren't succumbing to persecution, So finally, he couldn't take it anymore, and he called Silas and Timothy back to himself to give him an update. How is the church doing? How are my people bearing? And, well, they had some pretty amazing news to bring. Look at verse 8. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the Philippians are doing great. Anyone and everyone who's anywhere near Thessalonica has heard about their faith, their hope, their love, their perseverance, the way that they were all in the temples every day worshiping idols, and now they're serving the Lord faithfully in the church. And Paul cannot stop thinking about that when his knees hit the floor to pray. He just can't stop thinking about it. He remembers their powerful conversion. He remembers the way also that his preaching was rejected when he was in Asia. You remember that from last week? Everywhere that Paul went in Asia, it just seemed like just closed door, closed door, closed door. Paul remembers how his preaching was received apathetically in Athens. But when he thinks about the Thessalonians and the way that they joyfully received the word, he remembers something better. Look at chapter 2, verse 13 And on to verse 14, where we see the same kind of thing. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, 
you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You, for you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. So every time that Paul thinks about these Thessalonians, he just, he is so overwhelmed with thanksgiving. And now, he has even more good news from Paul and Timothy. And so he spurred on to even more prayer. Now, uh, as a side note, um, epistolary literature, which is what this is in our Bible, that's just a fancy word for letter writing, okay? Paul's writing a letter to this church. Uh, Epistolary literature in the ancient world, it typically followed a very specific format. So you had like an introduction you know, Paul and Timothy and Silas writing to so-and-so. It's who's writing, who are they writing to. And then you also would have like a, a benediction or some kind of a blessings, you know, may the Lord bless you. Even pagans would say that. They would say, may the gods bless you. And then sometimes, not always, but sometimes you would kind of have like a synopsis of what's to come in the rest of the letter. So, for example, in this morning's text, Paul says that he thanks God for the Thessalonians' faith, hope, and love. Now, in this morning's sermon, you're going to hear me talking a lot about thanksgiving, and you're not going to hear me really talk at all about faith, hope, and love. Just not very much. And maybe you're going to wonder why. Well, that's because I understand that to be Paul's kind of thesis statement for the rest of the letter. So as we work our way through the rest of the letter, I think these themes of faith, hope, and love are going to be constantly recurring, and that's basically what I'm going to be preaching to you about for the next several weeks and months, okay? So That's why you're not going to hear much about it from this morning's text. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will dive into the meat of the sermon. Father, we are your children. We know that you love us. We know that you want to do us good. We know that all fathers like to give their children good gifts. And what a good gift you have given us in your word. And what a good gift you have given us in dwelling us by your Holy Spirit. And what a good gift you have given us, calling us together here to be built up together. So Father, we pray against any distractions. We pray against any hostility towards the gospel. We pray that you would help our hearts to be soft and supple, ready to receive Uh, this feast that you have prepared for us from your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Um, When was the last time that you sat down and wrote someone a letter? Got the paper, got the pen. You guys remember these things called like envelopes and stamps? You look at it, you put it on the corner. You like, you write out people's address I wrote a letter to someone recently, and I went to go write the address, and I was like, wait, does it go in the top left corner? You know, like, it's just been so long since I've done any real letter writing, I've kind of forgotten about it. Letter writing is, in our digital age, it's a bit of a lost art. You know, in this age of rapid-fire emails and abbreviated text messages. Someone sent me a happy birthday text message this week that just said HBD. They're so busy, they couldn't write out happy birthday Anyway, so we're just so busy, and with FaceTime technology, who sits down to actually write out a letter? No one. 
But before all of this technology came into existence, the way that people maintained distances, especially along, long, uh, along you know, geographical lines when they were separated, was to write a letter. And that's true in the days of the New Testament as well. Right? It was how soldiers would communicate with their families while they were off in battle. It was how the heads of state would keep the affairs of state in order while they were away handling official business. Letters were also how church planners, missionaries, would keep in touch with the churches that they had planted, that they cared about, that they were anxious for. It was how an apostle could tell a church that he loved, even though I'm not with you physically, my heart is with you spiritually. You can see that in chapter 2, verse 17. Look there with me. Just notice the language that Paul uses here. He says, but since we were torn away from you, right, that makes me think about like a mother losing her child, right? Since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, right? So Paul says, listen, even though I'm not there with you, you should know that my heart's with you. I love you. And you can see this love that Paul has for the Thessalonians evidenced in his prayer life for him. That's why Paul uses such strong language when he tells them about the prayers that he's praying for them. Look back at verse 2 again. Do you see the language there? He doesn't just say, I thank God for you. He says, I thank God always for all of you, constantly, right? It's like Paul is just going out of his way to let them know how much he loves them and how much his love for them has impacted his prayer life. Now, that word constantly, it's translated in, in other uh, versions as well as uh, without ceasing, but the idea is the same. It's that Paul can't get them off of his mind. Uh, you should know that as I was preparing this sermon, uh, I experienced a tremendous amount of conviction uh, as one of your pastors in this church. Let me tell you why. Uh, by way of analogy. Every so often, I won't tell you how often, but every so often, uh, I find myself falling in love with Amber all over again. We've been married for, I don't want to do the math, but since we were 19. And every now and then, I'll be sitting and maybe I'll be watching her, or I'll be hearing her talk, or I'll be looking at a picture of her, and every strong feeling that I felt for her when we were 19-year-olds sitting there in my living room, every good thing about her just comes crashing down over me all over again, you know? And when that happens, it's a, it's a great experience. On the one hand, I'm overwhelmed with joy, you know? Who doesn't love to be in love? We all love the feeling of being in love. But sometimes it's not that great of, ex- of an experience because those feelings of joy are tinged with a little bit of guilt. Because when I see her with fresh eyes and I realize how amazing she is and how good of a gift she is, I also tend to think about how much I've taken advantage of her. I think about the ways that I failed to love her as I should. I think about the ways that I take her for granted. That's kind of what I felt during sermon prep this week as I'm thinking about how much Paul loves this church. I spent a lot of time thinking about the members of this church and how much I love you all. And I kind of re-fell in love with this church all over again. 
I kind of felt all the same things that I felt as I was falling in love with you when I first came to be your pastor. And then I felt that tinge of guilt, conviction really. And I thought, how often do I thank God for you? How often are you on my mind in prayer with the Lord? And if we're doing like a justification by comparison kind of thing, I think as a pastor, I'd probably fare pretty well. You know, part of the reason is because I know that I'm so bad at praying that I build rhythms of prayer into my life so that like no matter what, I can't help but pray. If you ever sit in on our elders meetings, all we do is pray. You know, I have alarms set on my phone so that I remember you in prayer. And yet I still don't think I really fully appreciate the grace of God that I see in the lives of the members of this church. Paul saw faith, hope, and love, and I'm sure a thousand other good things in the Thessalonians. And I see the same thing in this church. Uh, What I did this week as I was preparing the sermon is I sat down and I wrote out a list of evidences of grace, things to be thankful for, for the individual members of this church in the membership directory. And after about an hour, I just had to stop because I had other things to do and I still wasn't done. So let me just stop and take this opportunity to tell you, the members of this church, I love you. And I'm so thankful for you. And I'm so glad to be your pastor. And if you're here this morning in our prayer of Thanksgiving where Michael Wall went through and prayed something that he was thankful for for every member of the church. And if something like this is strange to you, I might encourage you to find a a different church, a church where you can know your leaders and be known by them, where you can love them and be loved by them. But I do want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that I see evidence of increasing faith and hope and love and a thousand other good things in your lives. And I want to do a better job of talking about it. Not just talking to God about it. I want to do better there too. But I also want to do a better job of talking to you about it. When I feel thankful for you, members of Sixth Avenue, I want to tell you that I feel thankful for you. I think that that's an implicit command in this text. Not only that we thank God for each other, but also that we tell each other how thankful that we are for each other. I think that's implicit in this text. Now, you may be wondering, Sean, where are you getting that from? I don't see that. Paul just says, you know, that he thanks God. Well, to be sure, Paul doesn't command us in this text to tell us that we must be thankful for each other. But what he does is he role models it. He demonstrates it. And not just in this text, in all six of those uh, things that I read you from his letters earlier in the sermon. Paul is just constantly in the habit of when he's thankful for his fellow Christians of making it a point to tell them. He wants them to know, I see evidence of God's grace in your life and I'm not going to keep that to myself. He, He loves to gossip the gospel. We talk a lot about word ministry in the life of this church and how it's all the responsibility, it's the responsibility of all the members, right? Because this is how God builds the church. In case you've forgotten, let me remind you, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every way the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So it's when we speak the truth to one another in love that the church is built up. 
And that truth speaking can take various forms. It can be rebuke and it can be exhortation. But the vast majority of our truth speaking needs to be encouragement. It needs to be thanksgiving. The more time we spend encouraging one another and giving thanks for one another, the easier it'll be when we have to exhort or rebuke one another. If you think about a healthy church like a bonfire, this kind of encouragement is one of the main sources of fuel for that fire. Now, if you've never built a fire before, uh, then you might not know that half of the work of building a fire, it revolves around collecting the wood, the kindling, all the fuel source, okay? Well, I think the same thing is true of encouragement. Half of the work of encouragement is being intentional about collecting the kindling in the wood for that fire of thanksgiving. And the only way to do that is to go looking for it. You have to be intentional about getting to know your brothers and sisters in Christ if you want to have something to be thankful for. I'm not saying that you won't just by chance see something that's thank- that you should be thankful for. Of course you will. But if you really want to be like the Apostle Paul, and if you just want to be overflowing with thanksgiving for the evidence you see of God's grace in the life of church members, then you have to go looking for it. You have to be on the prowl. So let me take this opportunity to exhort you, members of this local church, to continue to strive to get to know one another, to make time for one another. But Sean, the church is is growing. There's so many new people. Okay, well, two things. Number one, let's keep things in perspective. Uh, There are still less than 50 members in our church, okay? Even amongst small churches, we are a small church. I swear, sometimes I'll be talking to pastors and they'll be like, yeah, you know, we're small, but we're hanging in there. And I'll be like, oh, yeah? I'm like hoping they're going to say they got like 20 members. I'm like, make me feel good. Okay, how many members you got? I'll be like, no, okay, yeah, how many members do you have? And they're like, yeah, 180. (laughs) Guys, we are a small church. Maybe if you get to the point where we have like 100 members of the church, you can start using that as an excuse. But with less than 50 members, that's not a good excuse. Now, given our size, it shouldn't be that hard to just grab one couple this week and grab this single guy next week, take him out to lunch, invite him over for coffee, have him for dinner. Okay, maybe it doesn't have to be every week. Maybe just once a month. Or maybe you're like, a hard charger, and your life is just busy from like sun up to sundown. Okay, once a quarter. Whatever it is, just pick something and be methodical, be intentional, and get to know the people that God has called you to be in the same family with. But Sean, I'm so busy. Okay, but you're here on a Sunday, right? You could get here 15 minutes early and make a beeline to somebody that you don't know and say, hey, I'm so-and-so. You could also just hang out for 15 minutes afterwards. You can build a lot of relationships if you just spend 15 minutes every Sunday for a year getting to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. But Sean, I hear you, and I'm actually all on board with that, but I'm, I'm really nervous about the coronavirus. Okay, I understand. Everyone's different. Uh, talk in the parking lot. Mask up and have dinner on the porch. Uh, Five Guys has outdoor seating. So does Mellow Mushroom. Don't get near them, you know. Shout to them across the table if you have to. If 
Find a way. But Sean, nobody's talking to me. Well, I think that's because from a distance, you look so godly. Your Shekinah glory is so strong that it's intimidating for people that don't, you know, okay, there's probably a bunch of different reasons why people may not be approaching you. Uh, Some of them good, some of them not so good. But how about this? How about you go and you talk to somebody? How about you make it a point to go and say hi to someone, to shake their hand, to ask them if they want to get coffee? If you do that, if you take that step, I'm sure that you will find something amazing in the life of every single member of this church. I'm sure that you will find a tremendous amount of grace, an abundance of things to be thankful for as you get to know the members of this church. Let me just tell you some things. If you're a visitor, this whole service is like inside baseball. I know you don't know anybody that Michael was praying for and some of this stuff, but uh, enjoy nonetheless. Let me tell you about what's happening in the life of this church. Men are aspiring to be elders and to serve the Lord by laying down their lives for their sheep. Single guys are winning the war against lust and the battle to find identity in marriage. Moms are evangelizing in their kids' schools. Husbands are having Bible studies with their co-workers. They're evangelizing their bosses and their employees. This family is recovering from a miscarriage in a way that brings God glory in the midst of suffering. That family And that couple is persevering through marriage difficulties in a way that makes us look distinct from the world because they're just not throwing in the towel. This member is counting the relational cost of following Jesus. That member is counting the financial cost of following Jesus. This member is counting the physical cost of following Jesus. Some members are dying to their preferences for the sake of unity. Other members are dying to their rights for the sake of the consciences of weaker brothers and sisters in the church. Some members are, for the very first time in their life, beginning to understand what it means to follow Jesus. And other members are barely hanging on. But they are hanging on. Our family, uh, the DeMars family, we spend about six months uh, on our family nights watching Bear Grylls, you know, Man vs. Wild. It's hard to find family-friendly entertainment, and uh, I guess drinking bodily fluids out of snakeskin is as close as we could get. So, <clears throat> in almost every episode of Man vs. Wild, uh, Bear has to build a fire, right? Even if he's in the desert, you know, it gets cold in the desert at night, so he's got to build a fire. And what's interesting is that no matter where he is or the condition of his environment, he, it could be pouring rain. He always finds something to build a fire with. And the same thing is true in the life of this church and evidences of grace. There is always something to thank God for in the lives of your fellow church members, always, even when it's raining. And if you can't regularly find something to thank God for in the life of your fellow church members, maybe the problem isn't with them. Maybe the problem's with you. Maybe you just got a big old log right there in your eye 
That self-righteousness, that judgmentalism is preventing you from seeing the work of God in your brothers and sisters in their lives. I think Jesus said something about that once. Now, I'm about to repeat myself. I'm about to say something that the members of this church have heard me say a thousand times. One thousand and one. Paul told the Philippians to repeat myself is no problem for me and it's beneficial for you. So if the Apostle Paul feels comfortable repeating himself, then I will repeat myself. Uh, This is your membership directory. Such a small church, it's so thin. I don't know if, more like your membership pamphlet? I don't know. But this should be the second most important book to you besides your Bible. You should keep this in your Bible for when you're doing devotionals. And you should use it as an aid to help you find ways to give thanks for your brothers and sisters in Christ. So first of all, you'll notice that on this first page, there's a prayer guide here. If, if, you're, not me, if, you're, if you're not like me, and, excuse me, if you're like me and you're not organizationally inclined, somebody did the organization for you. They told you on day one, you can pray for members on rows one through three. And then on day two, you can pray for members on rows four through six. Okay? And you can just pray through the whole membership directory. And that way you can be constantly thinking about your brothers and sisters of Christ and think about what God is doing in their lives. One of the things that I've encouraged members of this church to do is to read the scriptures and then to pray something that you read in the scriptures over the members of the church. Well, you can do that same thing with Thanksgiving. Maybe you're reading about suffering for the glory of God, or maybe you're reading about good stewardship, or maybe you're reading about fighting lust. And then you can read through this membership directory and you can say, ah, he's doing that. I know he's doing that. We've talked about it because I have a relationship with him because I don't live in a bubble. And then you say, okay, Father, I just want to come before you and I want to thank you for the, for the way that I see you working in their life in this way. And you just say what you know and you pray. And then you don't have to stop there. You can pick up the phone. Now, not to text. If you want to text, you can. But you could even pick up the phone to call someone. And you could say, hey, I want to let you know that as I was praying this morning, I thought about you. And I thought about the way that God is working in your life. And I want you to know that I see how God is working in your life. And I give thanks to God for that. Now, maybe you're like, I'm not the, I don't know, that'd be super awkward for me. Okay, text or email. But if you're like me and you're an extreme extrovert, don't even call. Remember, and the next time you see them in person, pull them aside, look them in the eye, make them real uncomfortable, give them a hug, and then tell them how thankful you are for them. Now, most of my application this morning has been about how to apply this text to the local church. But you should know that the implications of this mindset of Thanksgiving, it goes beyond the four walls of this local church. So, I don't know if when I pray my long pastoral prayer or one of the elders or when when we pray the pastoral prayer, I don't know how much you're paying attention during all that, but if you do pay attention, then you probably notice that we pray for other local churches every week. Every week in the life of this church, we pray for other churches. And the reason why is because we think that God's spirit is alive and at work in other congregations besides our own. We don't think that like we have, you know, a, a market on the Holy Spirit. First Baptist, Central, other churches, First Bible, you know, we, we know that God's Spirit is alive and well in the lives of other churches. And so anywhere that we see evidence of the Spirit working more faith, more hope, more love, more peace, more patience, more kindness, more gentleness, anywhere where we see that, we want to thank God for that. Because we know that God is building his kingdom 
He's not building Sixth Avenue Community Church. He's building his kingdom. And Sixth Avenue Community Church just has an opportunity to be a part of that story. We even can find ways to thank God for churches that we don't agree with on every fine point of doctrine or practice. I get that from the Bible. I don't know if you can feel it when you read 1 Corinthians, but Paul's kind of at his wit's end with the church at Corinth when he sets out to write that letter. It's just issue after issue after issue after issue. And Paul is like a dad who's on a, about to snap, you know, he's on his last nerve. And nevertheless, he begins the letter like this. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Now, if Paul can be thankful, genuinely thankful, for God's grace in the life of the Corinthian Christians, then certainly we can find ways to give thanks for churches that we don't agree with on every matter of doctrine or practice. I'm not talking about heretical churches. I'm talking about churches that we disagree with on secondary and tertiary matters. But this application doesn't even have to end with a church. Just think about what all of your relationships would look like if you applied this attitude, this mindset of thanksgiving in every relational sphere wherein God has placed you? What if at work you complained less and found more opportunities to give thanks for your boss or for your company or for your employees or for your coworkers? I'm not talking about manufacturing things, you know, saying things are good when they're not good. Everything's fine. Everything's going to be okay. You know, my boss is a good boss. I'm not saying that. I'm saying just finding good things, ways that God is obviously doing you good in these circumstances, and then talking about that. What if in your marriage, when you sat your spouse down to have a talk, just once maybe, you sat them down to tell them how much you see God working in their lives, right? Husbands, what if you come home after a long day of work, and instead of complaining about something in the house that's not exactly how you want it, you kicked the kids out, you sat your wife down, you looked her in the eye, and you said X, Y, Z. Things that you've been intentional, things that you've been thinking about, ways that you see God growing her in grace. And you looked her in the eyes and you told her those things. What do you think that would do for your marriage? Think about what this disposition of thanksgiving can do for your own soul. What if every time you went to say something negative about someone, even if it's true, you paused and you took the time to think of something to be thankful for in the life of that person? And again, I'm not talking about flattery. I'm not talking about inventing something that's not there. But what if every time you found yourself in the life of this church, for example, growing bitter towards someone or harboring just a little bit of anger towards them, what if you just tried to kill that nerve by thinking about something to be thankful for in their lives? Well, that would do a lot of good for the relationships in the church, but, but think about what that would do for your own heart. Bitterness is like an acid that's going to destroy you as it destroys everyone else. Speaking of your growth in grace, you do know that if you are a Christian, you are growing in grace, right? That is a guarantee of the gospel. There's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't in some way grow to be more like Jesus, who is not in some way sanctified. 
I know that sometimes it can be difficult to see spiritual growth in our own lives. Sometimes we look at other people, and it seems like they are running the race full speed ahead, right? They are just, I mean, like, they started here, you know, they were at the gates of hell, and there's heaven, and it seems like in a matter of a moment, they've already gotten halfway there. And then you look at your own life, and you feel like the guy who's kind of spinning around in circles at the starting line. But I'm here to tell you, friend, brother, sister in Christ, that you are growing in grace. If you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, he did not come and live in you to leave you as you are. That's one of the promises of the gospel. Romans 8.28 says it like this. For those whom he foreknew, he also, be, he also predestined. Well, to what did he predestine you? To be conformed to the image of his Son. Now that, that conforming will not be completed until you get to heaven. But it's a process that begins here and now, and it absolutely begins. And it doesn't stall out and stop until you die, ever. Now, let me tell you, I know, brothers and sisters, that uh, it can be kind of awkward for some of us, especially like people who are like millennials and younger, to go out of your way to, to say something uh, kind to someone. To, to, to give thanks, to send the text message, to send the email, to make the phone call, to pull someone aside after service, and to, to, to tell them, like, hey, I thank God for you. I know that can be a little weird. But friends, you just never know how much someone may need that. I mean, you just don't know where people are in their journey with the Lord. You don't know how discouraged they may be in their faith. You don't know what kind of doubt they may be wrestling with. You don't know what kind of assurance they may be lacking. And what if you just taking 10 seconds to fire off a text message is what that brother or sister needs to keep on fighting just for today? Now, finally, and most importantly, we have to consider the way in which this attitude of thanksgiving gives glory to God. Scripture tells us that all of God's word is inspired, all of it, even Leviticus, as you saw as we finished, right? We got through with it, and you're like, oh, okay, that really is, it, okay, I got it. Um, God really is there. It took me a second. I had to wrestle through it, but I see now. Even the genealogies, even the parts of Scripture that we skip over, like the introductory, the introductory portion of letters, right? Like so-and-so writing to so-and-so, grace to you and peace from God our Father, yada, yada, I got it. Let's get to the good stuff, right? That's kind of how we treat the introductions and the endings of letters. But have you stopped to think about the fact that God chose to inscripturate this greeting into his holy word? He chose to have this in the Bible for our edification. Why? How? Well, I think the answer there is, it's kind of complicated. There's kind of, there's a few layers, but let me try to bite, just take a bite out of the onion and simplify it for you by, by telling you about my friend Justin. Justin is one of the hardest working guys that I know. I mean, he's probably the hardest working guy that you'll ever meet. And so it probably wouldn't surprise you then to know that all of Justin's kids have that same work ethic. You know, he's intentional about instilling it in all of his children. Now, I know that one of the ways that I can bring Justin immediate joy is by going to him and telling him that I see that work ethic 
in his children, right? If I, if I go to Justin and I say, man, your boys are some of the hardest working guys I've ever met. He would just light up like a Christmas tree. He gave him that old Kirkham work ethic. This dad loves it when someone sees evidence of his good parenting and then tells him about it. Well, the same thing is true of our Father in heaven. He loves it when we go to him with the express purpose of bragging about how good of a job he's doing in the life of his children. A few months ago, someone came up to me in, in our church and bragged about uh, one of my children, about some positive aspect of their character. And I was like, me? Ours? Us? Uh, now, why did they come to me and tell me that? Right? Why didn't they just tell my kid that and just kind of leave it there? Why did they make it a point to come to me and say, hey, I see you know, patience is doing good in this way? Because they knew that it would be an encouragement to me. They knew that if, I, that if they say that they see something good in her, that means that I must be doing something right as a parent. And so they were praising me by recognizing me as a good dad. When we are thankful genuinely thankful for our fellow Christians. And when we tell God about how thankful we are for them, we are praising him for being a good dad who's doing a good job and training up his kids. Now, one of the things that drives parents crazy is when their kids tattletale. You know, it's just, I mean, sometimes you need it, right? Like, oh, they're playing with a lighter. Oh, okay. But like, the vast majority of the time, tattletaling just drives you up the wall. I mean, I swear, if Bella came to me and told me that Patience murdered someone in cold blood, I'd just be like, stop telling on your sister all the time, you know? <laughs> just mind your own business for once. It drives us crazy when kids come and talk about how bad their siblings are all the time. Now, imagine a bizarro world. If you don't know what that is, uh, imagine like an upside down or backwards world where everything is exactly the opposite of what it is in this world. Now, in this world, siblings uh, don't actually complain about each other and they can actually see the good in one another. Now, imagine that these siblings in this imaginary world make it a point to regularly go to their parents and tell them stuff like, hey, dad, I know that you've been trying to teach my little brother manners. I know you've been trying real hard. And I want you to know that today, three times, I heard him say please and thank you. You're being a good dad, and your work is paying off. Imagine a world like that. Well, friends, you should know that the church is a family. A family is actually the metaphor that's most often used to talk about the church in the New Testament. God is our Father. Christ is the firstborn among many brethren. And we are all God's children. We are all siblings adopted into the household of God. And it shouldn't feel like bizarro world, upside down, backwards world for us to go to our father and to tell him that we see that he's doing a good job with our brothers and sisters. It should just feel normal. Now, before closing, I want us to remember that the only reason that any of us are in this family of God, growing in grace, is because our older brother laid down his life for us. He was perfectly obedient. There was so much evidence of grace in his life, but not the same kind of grace that we have. 
Grace for us is we've been forgiven for our rebellion against our Father. Nevertheless, the Father forgives us and receives us into his household. But for Jesus, he's just, he's just been obedient. The, the Spirit empowered obedience from the first day of his life until the day he laid his life down, just obedient. And he gave himself up for us so that we could come into the household of God. And ultimately, our disposition of thanksgiving for one another should be like a spring that flows out of the deep ground waters of thanksgiving that we have towards Jesus for making a way for us to come into the family. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a member of God's family, or you're not sure if you're a member of God's family, you should know that the adoption papers have already been drawn up. God is ready, willing, and happy, joyful, willing to receive you. The only thing that you have to do is leave this world behind and join us at the family table where we will feast and enjoy one another forever and ever with no end in sight. If you don't know what that means, if you don't know how to begin to even think about doing something like that, I'd encourage you to come talk to me or really any of the church members after service and, and we can help you think more about that. Let me pray. Father, we pray that you would help us to have eyes to see and ears to hear the grace that you've given to us in the life of this church. We pray that you would help us to kill, to put to death any self-righteousness that we have that only allows us to see good things in ourselves and bad things in others. Help us to love one another so that you might be glorified. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.